Amen. Man, I want to say welcome, Hope Community Church. It's a, it's a little bit different. It's a snow day. And so we're here. Um, we're here still doing church. And we're excited about um, we're excited about all that God is doing uh, through you and the ministry he has in you. And just a couple things. Next, next Sunday, Skip said we're going to uh, have communion together. We can't wait uh, to be back here. Um, together, celebrating, celebrating what Jesus did for us. Also, next week, um, we're going to have a church in Berkeley Springs, and so we're excited about that. So, February seventh will be the first, uh, be the first Sunday they actually try to run through a live service there with with people in the building. So we're excited about it, and just keep praying uh, that God. God will give us favor. And so we're praying for Chris and Faith Sims, the campus pastors, Berkeley Springs, and all their team. they got a wonderful team. Uh, they're running things. And so we're excited about it. Finally, the day has finally come. So we'll be praying all week for that. And then also this Wednesday, uh, this is our last week of the fast. So if you've been fasting, uh, dig in one more week. And then Wednesday, this Wednesday night, we'll be having prayer together again right here at Hope Community Church. So. Uh, we hope you join us then. There will be great nights of prayer. Today is a special day. Uh, I think uh, we met these fine folks three or four years ago. Three years ago, I think. And uh, they just become dear to us. And the ministry that they, uh, that they run and lead uh, is one that's actually having a dramatic impact on people's lives. It's a... Uh, it's not a common ministry. They're not, they're not providing for the poor, feeding, feeding the hungry, things like that. But they're doing something that not many people are doing. And we've just fallen in love with them and what they do. And it has transformed people's lives here at Hope Community Church. Genuinely transformed lives. We're so thankful for that. So I'm not going to take up any more time. I'm going to let Jack and Sheila Harper come up when they're going to share their story with us. So could you welcome them as they come this morning? Thanks. So it's good for you guys to be back in the eastern panhandle in a blizzard. <laughs> Yeah, so you guys live outside of Nashville. Yes. And so it doesn't snow that often. So I think I think the first year you guys were here was snowing. Yes. Yeah, so this has kind of become a trend. Somebody said yesterday we bring the snow. That, that could be. We may have to revisit that. Yeah. We may have to start coming in July. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, I think this is about the third year you guys have been here. You typically, we typically uh, line up with some other things that you have going on down in yeah. D.C., but... So this year, uh, obviously, has been different for you guys, just like it has all around the world. And so, um, so we'll get into that in a second. But for those, there's always new people tuning in, always new people showing up. So we just take the beginning, you guys just share your story, and let everybody know where you came from and how that worked out. Absolutely. You want me to start? Um, how we started what we do, I founded a, and I am the president of a nonprofit organization called Save One. And what we do is we help men, women, and families recover after abortion. 
And it's a tough subject, but it's a needed subject. It's very necessary, especially in our world today. Where this this ministry was birthed from was from my own abortion pain. I had an abortion on March 29, 1985. I'll never forget that date. It was by far the most regrettable mistake of my entire life. And I justified this decision because I was 19 and I, I thought, I just trusted the Supreme Court and I thought they know more. And even though this didn't feel right to me, I, I knew that they wouldn't make, or I believed that they wouldn't make something legal that was really bad. And I can tell you that the Supreme Court has been wrong before and they are wrong now with this subject. And so I just trusted that, and I had the abortion, and then I spent the next seven years just trying to forget that day. I attempted suicide during that time. I uh, became reliant upon drugs and alcohol just to get through the day. It was a horrible existence because I couldn't fix the problem. It wasn't until I found my way to a faith-based Bible study that everything changed. I was introduced to a Jesus that forgives the sin of abortion and that not only forgave me and I truly believed it and was able to apply it and walk it out, but also I was able to turn around and and allow him to use this to help somebody else. And that was the beautiful part. That's what gave me so much satisfaction and hope and, and just hope for the future. And so from there, I started volunteering. Before long, we started Save One because I kept hearing men and women say, if I could just save one unborn baby, I would be willing to tell my story. And knowing when you tell your story, you're risking rejection, you're risking ruining your reputation, you're risking judgment and condemnation from your friends. And so uh, I, I started realizing, God started showing me that these men and women needed a platform to tell their stories. Because we're not hearing the truth in the public from politicians and society. And so having the people who know the truth in our communities telling that truth is what we're all about at Save One. So where'd you come into the picture? (laughs) We we met about three years into her seven years of being unhinged. And when we met, I was an alcoholic, so things were messed up in my life. Uh, and I didn't realize at the time that um, her partying and, and the way we were living had to do with grief. I just thought we were having a good time. So, so let me stop you there. So, so this this isn't a story you just when you start when you're dating, you're not. No. It's, no, this is, this is not dinner conversation. Yeah. No. This, this is, is all private. You're keeping oh, it to yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you so have no clue. No, no clue whatsoever. We got married um, pretty quickly, and then about a year and a half into the relationship, or into the marriage, she said, I've got something to tell you. I can't hold it in any longer. And when she told me, that, that kind of gave me some hope because... I would come home some days, she's on the couch crying. I would come home some days, and she's like, June Cleaver, the whole house has been, you know, cleaned over. And then other days, I would come in, and she would just be hysterically laughing. And I didn't know what was going on. You're just guessing the whole time. Yeah, but I, and, and I, didn't know, I didn't know the source to turn to. Because, you know, our lives had just revolved around alcohol. So, um, Finally, she's driving down the road one day, and she hears a, a, a radio ad, 15-second radio ad. If you're struggling after an abortion, we have a class for you. And we thought, this is it. This is the answer. 
And so I'm not telling on her, but it took four times, three times, three stand. She stood him up three times, the fourth time she finally went. And her life changed dramatically. So, so let me ask you something. I don't think I've ever asked you this before. Did you guys grow up in church? Do you have any church background whatsoever? I was raised very untraditionally, but it seems like somebody always took me to church. But it, it may be like a Lutheran church one weekend, okay. and then a Catholic church the next, and then a Pentecostal church the next. So it was kind of okay. like I was kind of in and out and getting nuggets of truth in me. So about you? No, but maybe once every four or five weeks. So you're literally, you're literally riding in the car, no real church background, hear this and think, this is... Yeah, but because the, the commercial was geared just toward me. It said, if you're struggling after an abortion, we have a class for you. It wasn't like they were advertising their pregnancy center and, oh, yeah, we do abortion recovery. It was It hit me right in my heart, like... That gave me so much hope because I thought I was the only one who suffered after an abortion. And to have a class, like, I, I realized, like, there must be others out there if they actually formed a class for us, you know? I thought maybe there's two or three. So it was a mentality, I'm the only one. There's, I know there's tons of people that have had this done. I'm the only one with the negative Right, because you're hearing society that this was a good choice for women. This is my right. This is a right that I must have. So we're hearing this all the time, but I knew what was computing on the inside of me did not line up with what I was being told, and it made me just feel like I was losing my mind, that I was going crazy. So once you heard, oh, wait a second, there's other people Mm -hmm. struggling with this enough Yes. that that I can get help. And the day I went to, the very first night I went to that Bible study, it validated those lives seven years because I heard these other people in the class saying exactly what I had been going through. And so then I realized, like, this really is a thing. Like, they're, they were really suffering out here. This was really bad. Yeah. And it finally, I, I, able, I was able to get some direction and some hope. Yeah. So how long... How's your story keep going after that? Well, this is like the the thing when she got her healing, she got reintroduced to Jesus in a powerful way. I didn't know what to do with that because I'm I'm still unsaved. And so all I know to do is continue on in this lifestyle. So the the power of the head of the household, whether you're a a father or a mother, you know, a single family, I drug her back into where I was. And so from 92 to 98, we were in that lifestyle. And then in 98, God had this incredible grace moment. I didn't want to be in church. I, I didn't like going to church. There was, I was not desiring to be there. But every Sunday, she would ask, let's go to church. And when I didn't go, it was hell on earth for the week, you know. And so I just wanted peace next week. So I, I didn't realize the peace I was going to get. But I said, you know, yeah, we'll go. We'll go. So I'm sitting there, hungover. Didn't feel good. Didn't want to be there. Third row back, I'll see. Left hand side of the building, and God started talking to me. And he, he just said, Jack, give me everything, or I'm going to take everything from you. And in that moment, I, I surrendered. I said, Lord, I don't even know how to do this. And he said, I'll take you by the hand and lead you home. I didn't know that was scripture. But at that moment, my life changed. I was delivered from alcohol 23 years and life just started to change. We decided at that moment that everything was yes to the Lord. 
So it didn't matter what he was asking. So we don't have to negotiate that. We don't have to cultivate some ideology. It's just yes, Lord. And that's what it's been. So that led you to not only start an abortion recovery ministry, but you, you became a pastor. Yes, and actually when we started, he got saved in 98. We started the uh, the ministry in 2000. We had a business that we ran together. He became the financer for everything that we did. Anytime I needed anything, I was like, Jack, I need, you know, can you do this? And he'd write a check. And he that was how he was involved at first. He just financed the whole thing. And then we got called into ministry. And it's really convenient to be married to your biggest contributor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. But then we got called into ministry in 07 and planted the church. And the income changed uh, somewhat. And he couldn't be the biggest contri- contributor anymore. And so everything changed from that point. So you know the, the story where they let the paralytic through the roof. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you think about is the rope holders that let him down. Somebody has to get on the mat every once in a while. And for the first time in Say One history, you know, she had to get on the mat and let other people carry for a little bit. Yeah. And it changed. So your lives in the span of a couple of years just flipped upside down. Totally different. I mean, people probably didn't even know who you were anymore. Oh, absolutely. Our friends were calling and saying, are y'all still on the wagon? And we were, we knew, like, this is legit. We're not turning back. This is too good to let go of. And, and at first we started, you know, we would say, well, we're not going to drink, but you can bring, you know, you can bring your alcohol to the house. But even to that point, we were like, oh, we don't even want to be around this. We don't want to, it, it was just a complete radical transformation that we've never looked back on and have never regretted one bit. So then you pastored for, what, 12, 13, 11 years? And then at the end of that 11 years, you guys took another giant leap. Absolutely. We were at a conference, and we, he was pastoring. I was helping him. I'm running Save One. He's helping me. And we're like, kind of like going back and forth. And we just kind of felt like that was life. And we loved the church and weren't looking to leave. And at the conference, he both he spoke to both of us and said, I'm going to take you out of your church suddenly. And he used that word, suddenly, to both of us. And we didn't really get to talk to We were on our way home. And, and I said, did God talk, speak to you at this conference? And he was like, yes, why? And then we started talking about it. And we realized, like, he is going to take us out of the church. And, and we weren't looking to leave our church. But... As time went on, we, we finally realized that through confirmations from trusted friends, we knew that this was, and through prayer and fasting, he knew that he was to come and would say, one and us do this together. And that is when the men's portion of what we do completely exploded. You want to tell about that? Because that's been amazing. Prior to 18, we really had very few men that would come to the trainings to become facilitators and to help other men. And, and in 18, it just began this, that late 18 and then 19, it just began this swell that just started rising. So every, uh, every time we have a training, almost every time I'll say, not exclusive, but every, almost every time we have a training, we have men at the training and it's been 10 to 15%. Uh, of the people that we've trained over the last two years and some months that have been 
men ready to help other men. And so we, you know, God just opens doors that, that you can't open, you know. Um, we're working last year, uh, got hooked up, and we're the, one of the partner ministries with Promise Keepers. And so, yeah, we'll be with them at their stadium event this year. It was supposed to happen last year, it happened online. But, yeah, I mean, God just keeps opening doors. And it's a thing that is needed so badly because, I mean, 62 million abortions since Roe versus Wade, that's 62 million times that men have lost fatherhood. Yeah. And it's tough. So there's some situations like exactly like yours where where you come into it and you just don't, as a man, maybe you weren't even a part of it, original decision, just come into it and you have no idea what to do and then you find out. Or on the flip side, was part of the decision and is dealing with the grief and, and the heartache of that being part of their decision as well. And, and then the third scenario is that they, they didn't know or they knew and they wanted the child, but they, they didn't have any right, no legal right, not one law in any state in the U.S. protects the child if the man wants to have the child. Wow. And, and honestly, to just add to that, we have been conditioned as a society to believe that this is just a woman's issue. We've all heard the mantras, it's my body, it's my choice, and we've heard horrible things said to men who do try to get involved and save the lives of their children or, or whatever their involvement is. We've heard horrible things screamed and yelled at them. And so, of course, you know, men have just been told, you need to sit down and shut up when it comes to my body. In my choice, and so so many times when when couples come to us or when men come to us, they say, "I didn't feel like I could say anything because they've been conditioned to believe you can't speak to this issue, and he can speak to this issue." What we're doing is is empowering men again to get involved in this because I feel like the other side was ingenious in removing the men because they knew what a powerful voice that is to women. And so it's, it's something that's changing, and we're starting to see, like Jack said, this groundswell of men who are no longer willing to be silent about the lives of their children or about recovery. Yeah. I just love the way you guys come at this. You, you don't, you're not coming at it uh, from a standpoint of somebody just pointing their finger at people, telling them it's not good, and, and you know, that's sin. Uh, but you're coming at it from a place of grace, saying, hey, we can help. We know what you're suffering with. We know what you've been through. We can help. But on the flip side, you can also come at it from, hey, this is, I've been there before. And this, you don't have to walk down this road. And, 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 and I think um, we've, we've taught Save One for years now here at the church. And, and we've seen dramatic life transformation in people. And I don't know, I don't just look at that as, okay, we're going to minister to people afterwards. Now those, like you said, now those are testimonies are going out saying you don't have to walk down this road. Like things I did when I was growing up. I remember coming to church with a hangover before. Um, when I was growing up, like I don't need my kids to experience that. I don't need other people to experience that to get a, to get a testimony of how good God is. And so I'm, I'm just so thankful. Um, that the church is rising up to say, hey, look, there's no condemnation here. There's truth and grace. And we want to see you through all aspects of this situation. We want to keep as many people from experiences as possible. 
But if this has happened to you, if you've made that decision, there's enough grace and truth here to see you all the way through here. Exactly. And I, honestly, I feel like that is the key to ending abortion in our country and around our world is the local church rising up. Churches just like Hope that aren't afraid to approach these hard subjects. That's why I'm so thankful for you and, and Pastor Beth to, you're not afraid to talk about abortion from the pulpit. And a lot of pastors are because they don't want to rock the boat. But this is a subject that has to be talked about in the church. And I feel like that is when the tide will turn, is when the churches finally get on board. And we stop relying on politics to fix this for us because they're not going to fix it for us. It's the church's responsibility. One of the things you find out is that in a, in a church like this, there's you know tons of people coming on Sundays, watching online. You have no idea what people are dealing with. You you have a, a guess. Everybody's there's probably people here with some marriage issues. There's probably people here with some addiction issues. But there's a whole lot of things that you don't realize. And so if you're if if we're afraid of dealing with the subject, a lot of times we're holding back healing from people. Because we're not willing to, to go in. So he said, rock the boat. We like to build boats with really deep sides. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, so just jump into the conversation and just take the, take the, take the curtain back and say, look, this is, this is okay. Jesus wants to touch this area of your life. And, and we're not going to shy away from it at your expense. And I think a lot of churches, uh, run, we run the risk of, of kind of just trying to be so careful and it's, and it's at the people's expense. It's at, it's at salvation's expense. It's at healing's expense when we're, when we're super careful. When you read the Gospels, they really weren't that careful with topics. <laughs> Jesus wasn't right. careful when he, you know, like, well, I don't want to talk about that. Mm, that's right. Yeah. And there's a scripture too in uh, I think it's First Corinthians twelve twenty six that says if one part of the the church family is hurting, yeah. it hurts the entire church. Yeah. So so many times we isolate ourselves and we think, well, I, I can't talk about this part of my heart in church. But really, we're holding back the whole church when we do that. But then that scripture goes on to say that if one person enters into victory over that hurt, then the entire church gets to enjoy that victory. And so it is truly, it's bigger than us, our hurt and our pain, whatever the hurt and pain may be. And it's time that we deal with this subject. Yesterday in the training, just real quick, yesterday in the training, I got to hear so many stories of women who had been through the class here at Hope and how their life had completely transformed. And I will never, ever get tired of hearing these stories because I know that it's just God working in their life to, to totally transform them. So we really got to hear a lot of incredible stories yesterday. It's been really good. Talk to us for a second about how how important it is. Um, so we could teach your class. How important it is to have that have that culture of grace and and embracing people who are struggling. How important is that along with the class to walk people through a process? Because this isn't. Let's be honest. This isn't. Well, you made it through the 12-week class or 8-week class or whatever. Now you got your sticker. Everything's fine. Go back to life. And, and, and now it's all cleared up. It'll never bother you again. 
So I, I think um, there's a mandate in Second Corinthians 1. And it just very simply says that we're to comfort others with the comfort that God's comforted us with. That, that cycle never ends. If we've been comforted, then we're comforting others in that same thing. Tons of times when we speak, people come up to me afterwards and they're like, man, I struggle with alcohol or I, I have struggled with alcohol, you know. And I either set them in a, in a path where they can find the healing or set them in a path to be releasing that testimony so other people can find comfort in it. And it's the same way with Save One. I mean, over and over and over. Last year, as we went out and spoke, um, we were out 45 times here in the U.S. There were 64 salvations that happened. That, and that's just the salvation. That's not the number of people that started on that healing path, you know, for Save One. So um, I just think if we follow the mandates that God's given us, carry each other's burdens, you know, if we just follow those, then it's a repetitive cycle that the church, when it does it, it has such an audience because they're looking to for a place of power from their leadership. And, and when you stand up and say, you know what, we're going to tackle this tough subject, it just releases hope in people. Yes, and we have heard many times people will come to us for help and say, I'm so glad I found you guys because they never talk about abortion in my church, and so I know I could never turn to my church. And so they'll say things like that. So even not talking about it, like like you just said, it shuts the door to so many people when you realize one out of every three women have chosen abortion. And, and that means one out of every three men have lost fatherhood. And that statistic doesn't stop at our church doors. We like to magically think like, oh, that's terrible that's happening out there. But it's people in this room watching online, one out of every three. And so when a subject is not talked talk about that they're dealing with, they think, well, you know, we, we don't talk about that in church. I can't turn to my church. And the church is the first place we should turn to for that kind of help. I think we, we have a core value called the process. And I think part of that process, process is these, um, like just being real with sin. Like not acting, like the church has to realize that we're all walking through this sanctification process, this process of putting off sin in our life. And it is not easy. There's nobody that's really, really good at this right away. And so we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks, about there's a timeline that God walks us through. New birth, regeneration in Christ. We've been made new in Him. But that doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that, that you're done. That doesn't mean that everything... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I told the church, like, I know a lot of you in here. We're not, we're not done with this thing yet. So... I look at it as if we can take this, the stigma away of sin and, and, and realize that, okay, everybody in this building, everybody in the sound of my voice is, has sinned and will sin. Some of it hurts more than others. Some, some of the sin we commit hurts us more than, than other sin. So if we can, Take the stigma away from that as a church and go, you know what? It was sin just like everything. Let's just deal with it. Let's just create a safe space where we can 
where we can put that off and become more like Christ. And that's what I, that's what I think you guys are doing. And, and there's not many people doing that. There, there's not many places where you can go and say, you know, this is a safe place to talk about my sin. But that's what Jesus called us to. That, that's what the gospel, that's what the Holy New Testament calls us to. If you will confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, if you can have community close enough to where you can be safe enough to confess your sins to each other, man, I blew this. So you guys are creating those safe spots. Within churches, sometimes it may not be safe, by the way. But you're creating those safe spots where, where women and men can go into, families can go into and say, hey, man, this, this happened. This wasn't, this, we realized this was not God's will for our lives. And this happened. And then a, and then a safe space to, to walk them through that process of putting that sin off and being healed by it. And so I, I think that the farther we, the, the closer we get to Christ's return, the more the church has to act like that. It's got to be a safe place for people to come in and deal with what the devil has dealt them. And then get the grace and mercy. I read the Gospels and I never see sinners like hanging around Jesus going, Oh man, I'm so nervous right now. <laughs> it was a safe spot for them to be. And, um, and I'm so thankful that you guys created that space for, for this issue where, where people can, where people can come and get whole and be healed. So, okay, here's the, here's the thing everybody's dealing with. So, how did COVID change what, what you guys do? Well, <laughs> well, actually, I brought my phone up here to uh, go through a few things that we were still able to do, yeah. even through COVID, because of churches like you. Yeah. And so it, I always like to tell people, like, this is the difference you're making. Yeah. And it's not just us. When we're out and we're doing and going and traveling, we feel the prayers. And we're so thankful for the financial contributions. Yeah. And because, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, the more money we have, the more people we can reach, yeah. you know? So, so let's, let's be honest, just because COVID happened, it didn't mean people stopped making mistakes. That's right. The devil didn't take a break. That's right. Yeah. And in many cities, the abortion clinics stayed open because they deemed that a, uh, an essential service. Yeah. And so I was like, we're not going to stop just yeah. because we're having to quarantine or anything like that. So we, it, it did cause us to develop some new things. So I just want to tell you guys real quick, we were, these are some of the projects that we were able to do because of you, because of hope. Uh, we were able to develop an online training that happened immediately. Like we, we've got to do this online. We developed a new resource called uh, My Sister's Keeper, a devotional. We revamped my story, a book that I wrote many years ago called Survivor. We, I was able, I had time to revamp that. That's a new resource we can get in people's hands. Uh, we got the Spanish training completed. So that was awesome. We have a, a new uh, Hindi translation for men and women. Uh, we kicked off our Truth Teller series, which I don't know if you guys have seen that at all. We, we shot 12 videos, and it's people just telling their story in about a 10-minute video. And then they say, I'm a truth teller. And we always say we're raising this army of truth tellers to so the public will know exactly what abortion does to you. And so it's, uh, we, got, we shot 12 videos of men and women who are willing to tell their stories openly. And so they're on YouTube, on our Instagram 
um, uh, TV channel, and then Save One Europe completed the Mandarin, tra- or I'm sorry, the Macedonian translation of Save One Women's Study. So that's just some of the projects that we got done last year. Training, we developed two new trainers. We got new uh, networkers in Croatia and Serbia. We held 11 trainings in person or online, and then the number of people trained across all of Save One Global was 188. <laughs> so even though COVID hit, it was like we had to get creative, and how are we still going to reach people? We started really getting into technology and how that can happen. Speaking engagements, actually, you said 46, it was 53. That's global. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Global, global. I'm sorry. The number of attendees was 8,300. Number of salvation, 64. New chapters started, 39. So it's like things like that. We were still able to speak to 8,300 people in person. And, I mean, there's no telling how many watched on TV and, you know, YouTube and all of that. But 8,300 people in person that we were able to get the truth to, able to get our resources in their hands, and that type of thing, all because of churches like Hope. So thank you. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you for believing in us, for for partnering with us, for investing in us, and for praying for us. We are beyond grateful for that. So thank you. We think you guys are wonderful. I've never asked you this before. So you started this ministry in 2000. So we're talking 20 years. Going on 21 years. What is it like to start off? What is it like to come from where you came from? Have God interrupt your lives in a, in, in a, in a moment and then read from your phone that you train people in Croatia? <laughs> it is. Absolutely overwhelming. That wasn't on your radar in 2000. No, no. I literally thought it was just going to be a little Bible study I taught at my church. And I, I, I mean, it just kind of shows you how small my vision was. But I think if God had shown me the whole vision then, there's no way I, I would have ever thought I could be capable of something like that. He's the one who makes us capable. I realize that now. But back then, if he had shown me the whole thing, I don't, I don't. I remember the, am I speaking too much? No, not at what? all. What? <laughs> she, she had a moment where God gave her the vision. Well, that's she true. she doesn't like talking about it. That's true. Well, I always I cry. To, I cry so easy. I want you to tell him about going and praying well, over the abortion clinic. When we first moved to Nashville, I found the abortion clinic. And I would go and pray at the abortion clinic. And it was so heartbreaking because I would sit across the street and I would just pray and see those girls going in there. And I knew what they were walking into. And I I remember I went over there and prayed. And then the next day, you know, it was usually a few months before I would feel drawn to go do that again. And the very next day, I woke up and I felt like God said, go pray at the abortion clinic. It was all the way across town, way away from my house. And I was like, oh, that's dumb. That's just me thinking that. I just did it yesterday. I'm not going again. And I, uh, I, I could not, it would not leave my mind. And I kept, I knew it was God, but I kept saying, God, do you know how busy I am today? I don't have time to drive across town and pray again. I was just there yesterday. 
But he kept on and on. It would not leave my mind. So finally, I, I mean, I was aggravated, and I was like, I'll just I'll go over there. I'll pray for 30 minutes. I'll come back, you know. And so I'm driving across town wondering, why am I doing this? But I knew I had to go, so I went over. And my son had left his Bible in the passenger seat. And while I was sitting there praying, I knew God said, pick up the word. I have something to show you. And so I picked it up, and I opened it, and it opened. Oh, you could tell this in the ugly cry. Uh, and it opened to Jeremiah 1, 9, and 10. And those words say, Today, I have touched your mouth, and I put my words in your mouth. Today, I am pointing you. Over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And so I look at what we do as that moment of tearing down and destroying those lies that the enemy has told people for so long in building and planting the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ. Not to mention, we have been able to go into countries that we should have never been in. Governmental doors have been opened to us. In, in the fall, we're, we're, uh, scheduled to go to Hungary and speak in parliament or whatever that is. So it's like these doors just keep opening that we could have never opened in a million years. And so when I read that, I knew God is, this is something big. I had no idea what, but I just started doing the first, the next thing. I just, every door that opened, I just walked through. And I made a promise to God that I will go wherever you call. I will speak to whomever is in front of me. And I will do whatever it takes to get the job done. It's written on my wall in my office. And that's what we've done. And so if a door opens, I don't pray about whether we should do it. I just go. And I've told God, if you open the door, we're going. And you're going to have to physically stop me if I'm not supposed to go. And he has physically stopped me before. But like when we had to fly into the Middle East, I was not real comfortable with that. But I knew that was my promise. And I've got to go. And it ended up being one of the greatest trips we had ever had to go to Armenia. So, I mean, it's things like that that have just been absolutely overwhelming. Yeah. And, and when you give God that, that statement, you know, I'll go wherever. So she was at a church uh, in a couple of states away where she spoke to six. But we, we had no reservation about going and speaking to the church of six Sunday morning service. And then we've spoken to thousands, you know. So Well, I just believe activity brings results. And so if you're out there doing the activity in faith, the results will come. And you don't have to worry about where am I going and what's my crowd and, you know. I just want to tell people the truth and introduce the gospel. That's all I want to do. If I've got one person, I'm going to go. Save one. That's what we're all about. I'd like you to do something for me. Sure. I'd like you to give somebody a 15 second commercial that you got on the radio. I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of people watching online today and um, 
and they need to hear a 15-second, like your life is not over, you can get help, there's a future for you. There's there, not, not, just a, not just an average future for you, but God, God is specifically calling them. Because while your story is unique, I don't think it's... I don't think it's a singular thing that God did just with you, but he takes people over and over again with no hope and inserts hope into their lives through Christ. And, and then, then the sky's the limit all the time. Could you do that? Absolutely. If you are a man or woman and you are watching this or in this room and you are suffering after an abortion, there is a class for you at Hope Community Church. If you are not near Hope Community Church, then contact us at saveone.org. We will put you in a class. There is no reason why you should suffer one day longer because there is freedom and healing and hope for you. That's good. I thank you guys so much for coming here. Thank you. And doing this in the middle of a snowstorm. We are going to get home. Uh, you know, just have to hang we, out here. We made you out into the bedroom. Thank you. Do. <laughs> we appreciate you guys so much. I want to pray a blessing over you. Thank you. If you've uh, if you've been listening today, and and you have experienced the tra- trauma of an abortion, uh, I want to just reiterate uh, what Sheila said that God is still for you. God cares about you, and He still has a plan for your life, and He can forgive that sin and every other sin. Uh, when he went to the cross and died for you, it covered abortion easily. Without, without any, it just covered it easily. And so he wants to give you that hope and peace today. Today, you can get that peace today. And so I want to pray for Jack and Sheila and then for everybody listening. Father, we just thank you today. You are good. And we have no reason to think anything else. You've been faithful. We've heard the, uh, Sheila's story and Jack's story this morning, God, and you have been so faithful to them. And that just gives us confidence. It's not just faithfulness towards them, but it's who you are towards all of us. And so, God, we pray that you continue to bless them. Lord, I pray that you provide. I pray that you would um, provide health and and traveling safety, God, everywhere they go, I pray that you prepare, prepare the ground for when they get there. And Lord, your gospel will go forward because of their testimony. And Lord, I now pray for everyone listening. Lord, if there's, if there's a person out there hurting this morning, I pray that they find you today. I pray that they find you today and they find peace for the first time and hope for the first time. And I pray, Lord, that it would dramatically change their lives today, that they would inherit eternal life today. And we thank you that you're enough for everything we deal with. And we give you all the praise and the honor because you deserve it alone. And it's in Christ's name we pray. 